Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast with Jacob Ayers, providing actionable content to help you along your journey to financial freedom through real estate investing. As the premier asset class, real estate has helped ordinary people just like you amass fortunes. The benefits of passive income from real estate investing will allow you to live a life you want. And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, episode 168. Hi, I'm your host, Jacob Ayers. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. I'm so glad you're here. Today, our guest is Tim Bratz. Tim is the CEO and founder of CLE Turnkey Real Estate, a real estate investment company that acquires and transforms distressed commercial and apartment buildings into high-performance investment assets for their own portfolio. Working in real estate, Tim has learned how to build a passive business and create residual income that allows him to live the lifestyle of his choice. We're going to be digging in today about how to build a business around your lifestyle, and that's something that Tim practices what he preaches as we recorded this episode on a Friday, which in the Bratz household is Family Fridays. We start out the episode with Tim's daughter Penelope on his lap, and so you might hear a little bit of background noise there, but that just goes to show that Tim is really practicing what he's preaching, and I'm excited to share the content today, so let's go ahead and jump into this week's episode. All right, today I welcome on the show Tim Bratz. Hey, Tim, thanks so much for joining us. Jacob, appreciate you having me, buddy. It's an honor to be here, man. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, Tim, for the audience members that don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got started in the world of real estate investing, and just kind of your journey up to this point? Yeah, man. So first of all, uh, I was going through college, 03 to 07, and that's where the market was going gangbusters. Everybody's making money in real estate. They said, hey, if you want to make money, get involved in real estate. That's what motivated a 20-year-old kid at the time. So I uh, interned for a big home builder and uh, started my own painting company when I was in college. And then my brother was living in New York City, he asked me if I wanted to go and live out in New York City with him. So I moved out to New York City, got my real estate license, became a real estate agent for commercial real estate. So I'd help retail spaces get leased up and businesses find a second location or a third location or a 10th location. I did that. And I remember brokering my first deal. It was 400 square feet in uh, Manhattan in Greenwich Village. And for 400 square feet, this landlord leased out, signed a $10,000 a month lease with a 4% annual escalation over 12 years. And so I did the math on this thing. I was like, this guy's going to make almost $2 million over the next 12 years for doing something at one point in time. And I realized I was on the wrong side of the coin. (laughs) It's like, I need to stop brokering real estate and start owning real estate. Because I mean, this guy had like eight retail spaces. That was one of eight plus another 15 stories of apartments. So I couldn't imagine what the passive income was, what the residual income was. And that's really what drove me. I started really researching recurring 
income, residual income, passive income, doing something once and getting paid on it over and over again, and became kind of almost obsessed with that notion. But I think a lot of us, when we get into real estate, fall into this trap of like, I need to go and stockpile a bunch of my own money before I can go and buy some of these income producing assets. And I did the same thing. I got into wholesaling. I, I got into single family investing. I started flipping houses. I started doing turnkey rentals and selling those. And yeah. um, for the next like, I don't know, five years, six years, that's like all I did. And then I passively invested and helped sponsor some loans for some commercial deals and bought a few apartment buildings, kind of fixed them up and flipped them. And um, now we were talking offline on this, but about 18 months ago, I sat back and I looked at my net worth and kind of like where my business was and realized that although 10% of my time was spent on apartment buildings, it was over 90% of my wealth was created from those. And so I thought, what if I pivoted my team and just focused only on buying apartment buildings? And for the past 18 months, that's what we've been doing. I'm now up to 1,500 units and about $120 million portfolio. And we have another little over, I think, $75 million under contract closing in uh, the first quarter of 2019. So it's pretty amazing when you just make that commitment and drew a line in the sand, kind of burn the ships type thing and said, Hey, we're not buying any more single family. We're only going to buy apartment buildings. It's kind of amazing. Like how the universe responds to that, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. And there's so much to unpack there. And I love how it's so easy to glaze over. Yeah. I bought my first deal. I flipped a few homes. Now I own $120 million right. in real estate. It's like, okay, well let's, let's back up here and figure yeah. out what exactly did that transition look like? So here you are a real estate agent in New York. You're looking at these deals thinking, wow, I'm on the wrong side of the coin here. I need to be investing in these properties. Not helping broker the transaction. So right. what was your very first deal? Walk us through that very first property that you bought and then kind of slowly work that progression up to where you are now. Yeah. So I brokered a couple of leases up in New York. I had like just shy of $10,000, maybe eight, $9,000 saved up. I'm 23 years old at the time. And I was bad winter and I was like, I just want to move down south. So I moved down to <laughs> Charleston, South Carolina on a whim. Didn't know anybody, just wanted to change. And when I got down there, I just kind of, I went through this analysis paralysis phase, probably that a lot of people go through. I need to go to all the courses. I need to read all the systems. I need to buy all this online stuff. And I did that for like six months and then realized that you can't learn how to swim by reading about it in a book. You actually have to jump in the water kind of a thing. And so this is 2009 now. The market had shifted. All these foreclosures started coming online. And I thought, let me look on the MLS and see what the cheapest house on the MLS is. I only have $9,000 to work with here. And the cheapest house on the MLS was 25 grand. Yeah, it was 25 Gs. But the only problem was I didn't have 25 Gs. So yeah. now I need to find 25 grand. I think one of the main reasons or main traits that I have that's led me to be pretty successful is a sense of resourcefulness. A lot of times people say, hey, I can't do that because I don't have the time or I don't have the money or I don't have the knowledge or the expertise. I don't have those resources. Well, if you're resourceful, you can figure out what the answer is. You can find a solution to the problem. You can critically think and problem solve and figure it out regardless of your situation. I remember Tony Robbins saying resourcefulness is the ultimate resource. That's always stuck with me. And I think that's one of the things I'm kind of good at is just figuring it out. And so I remember going to a, a seminar and the guru up on stage is like, oh yeah, you can call up your credit card company and ask them to increase your limit. You can get them to increase your limit by tens of thousands of dollars. <laughs> I think it was probably to sell me like a $25,000 course. Probably so. <laughs> but I didn't use it for that. I used it to try to buy a house. So I called my credit card company. I said, hey, I'm about to make a large purchase. I need you to increase my limit to $100,000. And they said, absolutely not. You're 23 years old. You've had this open for like, for like 15 months. We do not, not trust you that much. No, like you don't have a mortgage. You don't have a car payment. Like this open for a year and two months and like that, no, it's not going to happen. And so I said, well, how much can you give me right now? And they said, 15 grand, one five. And so I thought, all right, fine. And I got all mad and I'm like cheering inside, excited that I have access to another $15,000. So they sent me some balance transfer check. 
checks. And I actually went to closing with a balance transfer check, like all perforated edges and the closing attorney's like, what, <laughs> what the hell am I supposed to do with this? Like take this to the bank, deposit it. Man, you can't take this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was like, oh yeah, yeah. This is my first deal. It was totally my first deal. I had no idea what I was doing. It was good and got to buy the house. I went back and forth. I ended up uh, negotiating it for $14,000. So I got it for 14 grand. The $15,000 credit card was able to, I had a 0% interest rate for like, I think it was six months or three months, something like that. And so uh, I thought, hey, let's figure it out. And so I bought on the credit card. I did all the work to it, recruited a couple of buddies, literally paid them in beer and pizza kind of thing. Cleaned it all <laughs> up, just kind of painted, put lipstick on a pig type of deal. I didn't know how to sell. So I just went and knocked on doors. I knocked on all the neighbor's doors. I started handing out flyers. I put up some signs saying, hey, I'm going to hold an open house. And that weekend I held an open house. I had one of the neighbors come through and make me an offer for $33,000. You know, I'm all into this thing for like 18, 19 grand. So I made awesome. like uh, 14 grand inside 75 days from some acquisition to close. This is in the re worst real estate market ever. It's my first deal. I'm a punk 23 year old kid. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And I'm making money <laughs> doing this. And so I thought, let me go do it again, do it again, do it again. So did it again, did it again, learned about wholesaling, really spent a lot of time wholesaling, learning what a good deal was. And by building up that buyer's list of people that I was out wholesaled properties to, eventually what a lot of people started saying was, hey man, I have money, but I don't have the bandwidth to take on any more projects. You obviously know what a deal is. I see what your work ethic is, Tim. Why don't I put up the money? You do all the work and we'll figure out an equitable split on the profit. And so that's what probably bridged the gap to start building a pretty significant real estate investment company. So I focused on building up those partnerships and finding people who had money and then just figuring out an equitable split with them and started meeting some people who had $25,000, then 50,000, then 100,000. And then I met a group of two brothers who had about a, a little over a million dollars they wanted to invest with me. And so I had a partnership with them for a few years. I gave up 67% of probably 200 deals, my first 200 deals that I did. So I gave up the majority of my first 200 deals, but I realized that I needed to build a resume. I need just get some deals under my belt. So that way I can then posture up with more private money lenders. I can posture up with banks. I can posture up with sellers. And it was a cost of education is how I look at it. So although I gave up a lot of money, like literally millions of dollars I probably made for these other people, sure. it was well worth it because it set me up for something better. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of people, they have a short-term mindset. You know, we live in this world of instant rice and instant pudding and instant success. <laughs> and they, they want to have it right now. And the reality is that's not how this works. You know, the media kind of glorifies that with these uh, tech booms and all this other stuff. But the reality is that was many, many years in planning and probably a lot of failed businesses before they finally got one that popped. And um, as far as real estate goes, real estate's not an experiment. You know, like since the dawn of civilization, wealth has been measured in land ownership. And I knew that it would eventually work out if I just stuck with it. And although I've been in business for 10 years, I've really only been good at it for the past probably three years. But all that other stuff, I needed the first seven years in order to be good at it the past three years. I needed the first seven years to be bad in order to figure out. But uh, you know, I think there's enough resources, enough people out there now. If you find the right coach, if you find the right mentor, I know we're going to be talking a little bit later. I know some of your uh, go-to questions like, what would you advise your 20-year-old self to do? Yes, you know. <laughs> so I'll go over that. I'll save that for a little bit later on. But I think um, knowing what I know now, I think think it's possible for somebody to do what it took me 10 years to do, they can do in 24, 36 months kind of thing. So fast track to today. Again, yeah, I own about 100, about 1500 units. I have another 1000 units under contract right now, closing first quarter of 2019. Yeah, we, we plan on being probably around 3000, maybe 3500 by the end of 2019. Yeah, that's exponential growth and awesome stuff there. A couple things I want to unpack. So you mentioned that Tony Robbins quote about resourcefulness. And I think that's so powerful to the audience members listening in right now. So many people are at least 
exist at one point or might be at one point in the position you were. No money, no yep. experience, no credit, maybe a little bit of credit card uh, cash advances. But there's people out there with just they feel like they don't have the money to do a deal or the time or the experience or the partnerships or whatever it is. And just having that resourcefulness and finding a way to get it done. Everybody can do something. So yeah, I really sure. love what you're talking about there. Just finding a way to do it and having that grit and determination to just do that first deal. And then you're willing to give up so much in return for just building that resume. You mentioned that 90-10 kind of evaluation of your own portfolio, kind of going back to that Pareto principle, right? So it's not 80-20 for you, but rather 90-10. So if you're looking at your portfolio saying, hey, 10% of my time is spent where 90% of my return is coming from. So let's put all our eggs in that basket and kind of focus there. And uh, kind of goes that same philosophy is going towards where you were giving up all your equity splits at, right? You said like 80% of your deals you were giving up or 60% of your deals you were giving yeah. up. But um, so you're giving uh, up a lot of 50 to 70% of all my deals, my first probably two, 250 deals, I had to give up and gave up to the equity, the money partners. But you're right, I had to build that resume. Yeah, absolutely. So now you've got into multifamily properties through syndication. Is that right? Not traditional syndication. I kind of fell in. I've never been to a real estate course on multifamily. I've never read a book on it. It's all from the school of hard knocks. I figured all this stuff out just by doing deal after deal after deal. So when I had the partnership with the guys who put up about a million bucks, that's when I bought my first building about six years ago. And it was in the C-class area. It was an eight unit building. Six years ago, it was 2012. And the market was just at the bottom. And you could buy anything for pennies on the dollar. So I bought this eight unit building and it was on the market for $30,000. And I was like, I can't lose money on this thing. So let me just like try to figure it out. And when I bought it, I had to put another 50 grand into it. And so I'm into it though for like 10 grand a unit and it's renting out for about 500 bucks a month, well, probably four or $500 per month per unit. So I'm, my return on investment on this thing is like 30%, 27, 30%, something like that. Cap rate is, is what they call a return on investment in commercial real estate. Right. And so after that first year, I think another thing that I do that has been hugely beneficial, whenever I do this, I have leaps and bounds in my business on, um, it just advances me so much as I just sit back and I reflect on my business. A lot of times around the holidays, I usually take the entire week between thanks, or I'm sorry, uh, Christmas and New Year's off and I just do goal setting and I watch The Men Who Built America and I uh, read and I reflect on my business. I reflect on the past year and then project forward of what worked, what didn't work, what do I need to pivot, what do I need to make? So I spend an entire week on it at the end of every year. And I usually take about a day or two on a quarterly basis to do this too. Usually when I'm on vacation or, or I'm traveling or I'm at a mastermind event or something like that, I'll sit back and just kind of look at my business and take a, a more holistic view of everything. And whenever I do that, I'm like, wow, this is like a game changer. So I did that back after I bought this first apartment building and I was doing everything. I was doing high-end flips, low-end flips. I was doing single family rentals. I bought this apartment building and I reflected on all the different deals and transactions I did did like the first year that I had these guys money and realized that I was always flipping. I wasn't buy and hold anything. It was always flipping things. So I buy it, fix it all up and then resell it. In the retail world, that was very stressful for me because like stuff that you see on HGTV, it just sits <laughs> vacant. You have these holding costs. It was super stressful. It's not based on me. It was like everybody's emotional that comes through all these buyers. They're all owner occupants. And so I hated that business and I hated the stress of the holding costs on it. The single family rentals, I liked because I could buy it, fix it all up, put a 
tenant place. If it sells for my price, awesome. If it didn't sell, I don't care because I still have a good return on investment coming in. So I could actually wait out for the price that I wanted to sell this thing for. And I made a really good return on that. And then the apartment buildings took that to a whole nother level. Now it's just larger. It's more scalable. Instead of driving to eight different houses, I can go to one eight unit apartment building and manage eight tenants right there, collect rent from eight of those eight tenants and post notices for those eight tenants. Instead of driving all around town, I have one roof instead of eight roofs. I have one foundation instead of eight foundations. I have four walls instead of 32 walls. And I negotiate one deal instead of eight deals, you know? Yeah. So it was just more scalable and it met my personality more for what I wanted to do, what my long-term goals were. So after that first year, I stopped doing all the other single family stuff, just focused on apartment buildings, bought another eight unit, bought a 14 unit, bought a 23 unit, bought a 30 unit, I had a 30 unit building burned down. But I just <laughs> wow. grew this portfolio about 150, 200 units. And then that partnership went south and I had to liquidate everything a couple of years ago. And so, you know, what happened is eventually you become a lot more valuable, especially in this market. The operator is a lot more valuable than the money is because if you know what you're doing, it's easy to find money. But when you're new, it's very hard to find money. So what happened was there was a lot more value that I was bringing than what they were bringing and it kind of just unraveled. There wasn't an equitable split any longer and they weren't accommodating to even having that discussion. So I knew that early on that the relationship wasn't going to last. So we just decided to cut ties, liquidate everything. And I've just been doing my own thing for the past three years. So I had to build up a, a little bit of cash basis again. We started flipping houses. We were in the turnkey space. So we were flipping about 100 houses a year in the turnkey realm. Started one of the largest residential property management companies in Cleveland, Ohio, which is where I'm based out of. And then started collecting up these apartment buildings. And so that's kind of where we've been and how it got me to where, where I am today. But you said a, a word earlier of like how it compounds exponentially. And that's absolutely true because once you buy an eight unit building, you can go qualify for another eight unit building. Now you have 16 units. Now you can go qualify for a 20 unit building. Now you have 35, 40 units. Now you can go qualify for a 50 unit building. And so every building you buy makes you that much more bankable and qualified to sponsor a loan on the next double size building. Make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, that, and so that's how I got to where I am so quickly and so rapidly. We picked up a thousand units in the past 18 months. I had 300 units, 350 units a year and a half ago that I was a passive partner in. And I was able to just keep on doubling, 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 doubling. And I'm going to double again in the next three months. So it's pretty remarkable the way that this momentum thing works once you catch on to it. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I wanted to ask you is, you know, what changes have you seen in the impact of your lifestyle by investing in these multifamily versus doing those 100 flips and wholesale deals a year? I'm sure there's just been a tremendous decrease in the level of stress and daily <laughs> involvement on deals. So talk about that piece. Yeah, although we're doing hundreds of units and renovating hundreds of units, it's one bedroom unit or one two bedroom unit that's like seven, 800 square feet that has the exact same scope of work across 200 units. You know what I mean? So yeah. like once you figure out that one, now the contractor and you and your project manager are all on the same page. Everybody knows what the expectation is once you finish one unit. And now you can really automate that whole process. The other thing is when I was flipping houses, I had to figure out what kind of fixtures do they, does fits the neighborhood and what kind of like different levels of finishes were we going to use for the backsplash and the countertops and the cabinets. You had to do that every single deal. With this, it's the exact same scope of work, the exact same standard finishes. It doesn't matter if you're in one of my buildings in Texas, in Ohio, in Georgia, or South Carolina. If I took you in the living room, spun you around in a circle, and then told you to open <laughs> up your eyes, you'd be like, I don't know where I am because they all look exactly the same because we use the same flooring, the same paint, the same fixtures 
across all of our buildings. When you do that, now you have scalability in material. Now you have scalability in suppliers and vendors and contractors. And your contractors can work faster because they're not putting up 10 different types of electrical fixtures and chandeliers. They're doing the exact same fixture over and over and over again. So now they become an expert at installing that flooring, at installing those cabinets, at installing those fixtures. And when that happens, they can get jobs done faster. You can get units leased quicker. You can get more rent coming in sooner. You know what I mean? You can refinance sooner. Like it moves everything forward faster by being able to have that scalability. So it's gotten to a point, I've, I've done two things. One is I, I invest in passive income producing assets now. So before I would sell a house and I'd have to go, I would be out of a job. I got to go do it again in order to get paid again. And then I have to go do it again, to get paid again, do it again, do it again, do it again. So at the end of the day, I was just on a different hamster wheel versus working for somebody else and doing that. I was just doing it for myself, but it was just consuming me. And by investing in income producing assets, they fill up my bank account on January 1st and I can spend all that money and they fill up my bank account again on February 1st. And I can spend all that money and they fill up my bank account again on March 1st. And so it relieves a lot of stress because you know you have this certain baseline of income coming in on an annual basis, which now you can make more strategic moves with your business. And so that's cool because it's, it's passive assets. And then I've built a business. I don't have a complicated business. There's uh, I just hired two more people. I had four people on my investment team. I just hired two more people, an executive assistant and I brought in a good buddy of mine who's an attorney. And now he's like a joint venture partner on a lot of stuff and handles all of our legal and syndication and securities documentation stuff. So I only have a team of six people, but I'm for the most part, completely passive in this thing. I still do some raising of money. I'm kind of the rest of my team is the engine. I'm part of the fuel that feeds the engine. I'd say I do mostly yeah. mark. I'm a guest on a few podcasts. I have a coaching program that brings in a lot of joint venture partners that are active, want to find deals and partner up with us. And that brings in a lot of passive investors who just want to act or passively invest in our projects because they have access to capital. And so just by me doing those events and being pretty active, I, I do a lot of content on social media and stuff and just trying to give as much value and pay it forward because a lot of people help me out too. And by doing that, it kind of feeds the engine. And so I'm able to then hand that off to my team, but my team handles 100% of the projects, of the acquisitions, of the due diligence, of the asset management, the property management. I don't have anything to do with any of that stuff, which is uh, pretty awesome from a lifestyle standpoint. So yeah, yeah. But, I've been able to craft my business around my life versus just fitting my life into my business. So I take Fridays off, you know, we're recording this on a Friday. It's Friday family fun day uh, at my house. So yeah, yeah. you got to see my daughter, Penelope, and uh, my son Hudson just woke up too. And we're going to go and hang out. We do something fun. We either go to the zoo or we'll just go out to lunch and just do something fun, go to the library, just hang out as a family every Friday. And uh, I don't do anything on Saturdays or Sundays for work. Just all family time, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I time block during the week as well. So there's a lot of people that say, hey, I'm building my business for my family. But when you take a look at where they spend their time, I think I think where you spend your time is the truest indicator of your priorities. And a lot of people are not congruent with how they spend their time with what they're saying, what their priorities are. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. And so I found myself doing the same thing. And I realized that if I'm on a podcast with you, I'm going to time block that. It's going to be my calendar. I'm not going to double book it. I'm not going to take a phone call while I'm talking with you. And so why don't people do that with their family too? All of a sudden they're with their family or they're at dinner and hanging out with their kids and they're picking up a phone call or they're, you know what I mean? Like that should be a bigger priority. So I'm not perfect at it, but I think I'm pretty good at it. I'm very conscious of it. And from essentially 4.30 on, my phone's off. Like I, you can't get a hold of me. I try to put it upstairs so I don't even tempted by the beeping or the buzzing 
or anything like that. And, you know, I, I think what it's done and then I talk about the evenings for my kids, my family, my wife, we do date nights, all that kind of stuff from 430 on. Nobody can get a hold of me. And I've started doing that in the morning a little bit. I need to get better at it in the morning, but I try to do it until about 10 a.m. where nobody can get a hold of me. So that way, when I'm in the office from like 1030 to 430, so I'm only in there for like six hours a day, four days a week. I need to be super efficient with my time. And so you might think like, hey, you know, I'm missing on a business because I'm not picking up the phone. The reality is it makes you more efficient and you don't fill your time with stuff that doesn't matter. You know, trolling Facebook and making business (laughs) cards, like stupid stuff like that. You focus only on revenue generating activities because you have a finite amount of time. And because I focused on that, the other stuff was just noise. I was either able to staff it out or just delete it from my life altogether. And I've had so much more momentum because of it in the past 12 months that I've been implementing that. It's been pretty powerful. Yeah, I love that. And I wanted to introduce Penelope. She was sitting on your lap for the audience members that can't see but are listening. And, uh, she seems like a great real estate partner, but I think she bolted for breakfast before I got a chance to bring her on the show and ask her a few questions. But dude, she was playing Monopoly. She's three years old and she was playing Monopoly the other day with my wife. And just every time she'd roll the dice, she could count the spaces. It was really remarkable. Like it's supposed to be for like eight year olds and older, you know. So I'm, this is a proud dad moment. And she's moving her, her little uh, icon thing across. And she ended up uh, every time she landed on a property, she would instinctively just go broke and buy everything. And she would like, I'd buy it, buy it, buy it. And she'd be out of money and be like, I can't, I can't sell you. You can't buy anything else until you pass go again, babe. No, I want to buy it. How do I buy it? Like, I love that it's just ingrained in her personality. Just buy everything, buy real estate and wait, don't wait to buy real estate, you know? Such a great uh, tool for teaching a three-year-old how to buy real estate. I, I guess know, I never man. thought about that. I'm but. excited. <laughs> awesome stuff. Well, Tim, kind of changing gears here a little bit. People are probably sitting here thinking, yeah, Tim's story is awesome. He's gone from buying a few single family homes to flipping some deals, wholesaling deals, and voila, now he owns 1,500 units. So how can I do what Tim's done? What are maybe some like, you know, maybe top three pieces of advice you can give to somebody to get started in the world of multifamily? I get this question a lot on like on Facebook when people send me messages like, how do I get started? How do I do all this stuff? There's yeah. a lot of information out there and you can get really good at certain things if you focus on it. There is too much information. So like once you know what you could boil down and what's good content, that's the other part is like ciphering through good stuff versus a bunch of BS. I think the two most important skill sets you can have if you want to be a real estate investor is finding money and finding deals. Doesn't matter what the market looks like. If you can find money and you can find deals, you can do deals if the economy sucks. And if the economy is awesome. So if you're really good at going out and raising capital and raising private money for your deals, money, finance is the industry that commands all other industries. So if you can control the money, you can control the deal, you can control your team, you control your business, you can control any joint venture partnerships. Money is the most important thing to get good at managing and handling and being a good steward of capital. That's hugely important. The other thing is like right now, if you can find good deals, you are a commodity, you know, like in this marketplace, it's really hard to find really good deals right now. If you can get good at finding deals and you can get good at raising money for those deals, you can marry those two things up. doesn't matter what the economy looks like. You can be able to be successful in a down market, in an up market. That doesn't matter. So I would focus on educating myself on those two subjects all the time, how to find deals, how to find money. Yeah, I love it. Simple enough. Well, Tim, as we're wrapping up here, we've got a lightning round, just a series of questions. As you know, you sound fairly familiar with them. Are you up for them? Absolutely. Let's do it. 
All right. Awesome. Well, the first question we have for you is what was your biggest hurdle getting started investing in real estate? And then what did you do to overcome those? Uh, so I got started in real estate when I was 22, 23 years old, and nobody was going to invest in a punk 22 year old kid <laughs> and put tens of thousands of dollars with them. Now I was able to raise some money from some friends, from some family. I had a buddy who uh, invested like 25 grand with me because he was an investment banker. We was able to save that up over a couple of years straight out of college, which was like a big deal. But $25,000 still isn't enough to go and buy an apartment building. I started in the hood. I would go into areas that you wouldn't go today with a gun and an army. You know, <laughs> I was in some pretty tough areas. So I I think you just got to roll with it. Nobody's going to give me money as a 23-year-old who's never done a deal before. So I needed to figure it out myself. Again, what we talked about earlier on is I was just very resourceful. I, I started asking myself really good questions. And when I started asking myself better questions, I got better answers. I said, hey, where can I get money from? Who else do I know that has access to capital or, or has money themselves? Or like, how could I partner up? How can I structure better deals? How can I make it more lucrative for whoever the investor is? Like, And when you ask good questions, you get good answers. When you ask better questions, you get better answers. And that's kind of what I ended up doing is just kept on asking myself questions instead of saying, I can't do it. And my mind shutting off and eliminating any future thoughts on that subject. I asked myself questions. When you ask yourself questions, it promotes thought provoking answers, you know, and it leads down a path of better questions. So don't tell yourself you can't do something. Ask yourself, how can I do something? And it'll get you there that much faster. I love that. So powerful. Well, Tim, do you have a personal habit that contributes to your success? Uh, time blocking. We alluded to that one a little bit. I think that is a something that I do that has contributed pretty significantly. A lot of people are like, hey, I couldn't do that because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose out on business, lose out on deals. The reality is it makes you more efficient. And I've had people actually tell me like, dude, I want to do more business with you. And I want to put more money with you. And I want to do more deals with you and joint venture on more properties with you because I realize you're not in it for a quick buck. You're not in it for the dollar because it's apparent that your values are where they should be. Like family and relationships are more important than just making money based on me time blocking my time for my family and for my friends. And so I've had more business come from time blocking than I've lost business. I promise you that. So I think time blocking is a habit that I've really implemented. And the other thing is just the problem solving thing. Like whenever I'm faced with a problem, this is pretty good. This is what I teach my team. Whenever we're faced with a problem, it goes back to that. Don't say, Hey, I can't do something or hey, a problem. Don't bring me a problem. My team, I tell my team to come up with three answers, come up with three solutions to that problem, weigh out the costs and benefits of each one of those solutions, and then select whichever one makes the most sense. And if you always do that, then I know you're at least thinking critically, thinking through a couple different ideas on how to solve this issue. And if you always weigh out the costs and benefits, you can go with the one that makes the most sense, that's going to cost us the least, benefit us the most, then I'll never be mad at you as the boss, as the owner of the company, because it's better to get it 90% right for somebody else to get it 90% right than for me to have to do it, get it 100% right. Like sometimes 90% just has to be good enough. And for many things, that last 10% doesn't matter. A lot of things it does, but for a lot of the depositing money at the bank or taking things to the post office or like yeah. that kind of stuff or utilizing one type of flooring over another type of, or one paint tone over another paint tone, like it usually doesn't matter that much in the grand scheme of things. And so there's little things like that of, Hey, do we pay the contractor on Wednesday or Friday? Dude, it doesn't friggin' matter. Like you guys figure it out. I don't need to, you don't need to bring that problem to me, that question to me, like solve it yourself. So like things like that, where I've taught my team how to critically think on their own by weighing out three different solutions to every problem that comes to them, they're able to now be more self-sufficient and be more resourceful themselves, which leads my entire business to being more resourceful, which leads me to being not in the office all the time. I love that. Having awesome. a little lifestyle. Yeah, that's a good takeaway. Well, do you have an online resource that you find valuable in your day-to-day? 
I keep it pretty simple. Like everybody has like these CRM systems and Podio and all this stuff. Like I use an Excel spreadsheet and Google Docs, and that's how we run our entire business. We have property management software for our property management company. But other than that, man, we keep it super simple. We don't have like complicated CRM systems or anything like that. We have just some checklists and some things like that that we have in place so that people know what the next step is. But for the most part, we keep it pretty simple. I mean, I think a lot of people get caught up in that technology stuff where they think they need to have all these technologies and systems set up. And the reality is you can do 10 deals a month, single family houses a month with a telephone and a notepad of paper. You don't need all this complicated stuff. I know all, a lot of gurus are like, hey, you got to buy my system. You got to buy my my yeah. process. You need <laughs> to buy, you know, get my software for free. And here's how you set it all up and do all this. They pick up the phone and start calling for sale by owner, start calling for rent by owner, start calling expired listings, go and hang out at eviction court and talk to property management companies that are dealing with problem properties, with landlords that are dealing with problem properties, with real estate attorneys that are dealing with problem properties. Like there's so many things that you can do that are in no cost to you as the investor if you have the work ethic. If you're willing to do those guerrilla marketing type things that nobody else is willing to do, then you're going to find deals that nobody else is able to find. Yeah, I love that. And I see that same problem pretty frequently in people who haven't bought their first property yet. Oh, I've got to set up this LLC and I need to write my business plan and I need to, you know, create business cards and create presentations. And no, you've just got to like look for a deal, go buy that first deal, make some offers, call owners, track owners, track properties, whatever it, it is, like make some progress. You don't need to uh -huh. be messing around with business cards and LLCs at this point. None of that stuff matters. You need to make revenue. Like revenue will solve all of, all your problems. Just go and create revenue. Go and get some money rolling in. Then you can pay somebody to go do those non-revenue generating activities. But as the business owner, so especially a solopreneur where you're doing everything yourself, you need to stay. Imagine there's a line, a meridian going right down the middle. That's the revenue line. You need to stay as close to that revenue line as possible. The further away you get with making business cards and setting up systems, and I don't even know because I don't do any of that stuff anymore. <laughs> But the farther away you get from the revenue line, the less money you're going to make. The closer you are to the revenue line, the more money you're going to make. And in every business, not even just real estate, every business has really three, four, five activities that are revenue generating activities. Mm -hmm. I mean, in real estate, here's what they are. Finding buyers, finding sellers, finding money. It's those three things. If you're not doing those three things, then you're wasting your time on something that's not important. Go and find money, go and find buyers, go and find sellers. And then you can do any kind of real estate that you want. Focus on those three things as the owner of the business. Don't staff out any of those those things, staff out everything else. That's kind of the low level activities, focus on those three things. And then as you have very competent people, you can, you can one at a time kind of piecemeal those off. Yeah, I love it. Well, Tim, do you have a favorite book you would recommend to the audience members and then why? Yeah, the book that I always recommend is a book that not a lot of people know about. It's called 12 Pillars, P-I-L-L-A-R-S, 12 okay. Pillars by Jim Rohn. And a lot oh. of people have heard of Jim Rohn. It's a book not just about business. It's about how to craft a good life. All the different pillars that were instrumental in helping him build his life and his, build his legacy the way that he has. That's a book I read probably twice a year. It's super easy to read. It's less than 100 pages. And it reads really, I mean, you can knock it out in one sitting. It's very, very easy to read, but it's profound. It's packed with profound found principles on how to build a pretty remarkable life. And so that book has been really a guiding source for me. Again, I read it a couple times a year. Whenever I whenever I meet somebody, I gift them that book. I have about 200 of them in my office <laughs> and I hand them out to everybody that I meet because it's been such an impact on me in my life. So 12 Pillars by Jim Rohn. I love it. Awesome. We'll link that book in the show notes if our audience members want to pick that up. Last question in our lightning round, Tim, as you already know, and you alluded to earlier in the show, if you were to give advice to your 20-year-old self to get started investing in real estate, what would that be? 
So I, I gave you some good ones on finding deals, finding money. The third thing that I always tell people is find a mentor or a mastermind group. I think uh, as you reach the mastermind group, I went to my first one in February 2015 and I had to pay to play. You know, it was one of those things where uh, it was $5,000 for a two-day mastermind. And I went into it thinking, man, that's a lot of money to spend. And then they they wanted me to join the annual mastermind for $30,000. And I was like, dude, I made hundred grand last year. That's like a third of my income. I can't afford to do that. And the guy who I hugely respected. And he had just gotten back from seven weeks in Hawaii. And I think it was like Bali or Bora Bora and just hanging out golfing. I'm like, who are you? Like, who, who has the ability to do that? And he was making millions of dollars a year. The guy who ran the mastermind. And I respected him a lot. And he's like, dude, you got to do this because as you reach different levels in business, you're also going to reach different levels of problems. And by joining a mastermind and connecting every quarter with the people in that mastermind, naturally, you're going to push through the ceiling that you're of the problem that you're facing right now. But three months from now, there's gonna be another problem. Like there's different levels of life and there's different levels of problems that come with each level too, you know? So as you hit each different level, there's just another problem. And by joining a mastermind, they're gonna be able to help you push through the next ceiling, the next ceiling, the next ceiling. And that joining a mastermind, I would say if there's one thing that has helped me exponentially grow my business over the past 36 months, it's joining a mastermind. Because every time I was faced with an issue, business and personal, I was able to talk to the, the people in the group, be very open, be very vulnerable, be open and honest on what was going on. And um, they said, listen, dude, we all go through that. I went through that a year and a half ago. Here's what I did. Here's what helped me get through it. Here's what I did that I wish I didn't do. So I don't want you to make the same mistake. Yeah. And it accelerates your success so much. Like I believe so much in masterminds. I'm part of five different masterminds. I run one. I'm a member of four other ones because I think they're so powerful. And they could be a real estate mastermind. It can be just an entrepreneurial mastermind. Doesn't matter. But there needs to be like an ongoing support group that you have. That's not just a one-time event. Like hang out and like build relationships. Understand their business. That let them understand your business. And that way, whenever you are faced with an issue, you have trust built with a lot of these people, and they understand you and your situation, your business, and it's going to help you accelerate and make those leaps and bounds in business and grow exponentially faster. Yeah, I love that. And like you said, there's levels to business, right? And you see a lot of coaching programs or forums or websites or whatever it is out there about how to get your first deal or, you know, growing and scaling your small single family portfolio or whatever it is. And then there's like the next step of transitioning from single families to maybe multifamilies and then, you yep. know, growing that. So you've actually found a niche where you help people grow from their single family portfolio, transitioning to multifamily through commercialempire.com. So tell us a little bit about that and what goes on in that mastermind group. I appreciate that. And this is like a, so I have a course, but what's happened is I like giving a lot of content. I like giving a lot of value to people. I feel like wealth is one of those things where you having more wealth, Jacob, does not take wealth away from me. It's like Definitely sunshine. Not. You having sunshine doesn't take any sunshine away from me. And so my mom was like a full-time volunteer growing up. And so I have like this giving piece of me where I try to like give, give, give on, on social media. Like you can look at all my posts over the past couple of years and it's always like inspirational and talking about business and giving insights and tactics and strategies and all those kinds of things. And when I started really growing my portfolio over the past 18 months, I post about deals. I post about how I raised the money. I post about how I found the deal, how I did the due diligence and all those kinds of things. And I've had, man, probably dozens of different like education companies reach out to me and say, hey, let's turn you into a guru and do this and do that. And it was always like sleazy, salesy kind of stuff that I that I hated because I, I went to all those things. There were a couple of guys who came up to me and, and they came very highly recommended from two of my mentors, the guy who actually ran that mastermind and another guy who runs another mastermind. They said, hey, like if you do want to go down the road of educating people and putting a course together, 
together, then these are the best two guys. And so I had a conversation with them and I put this education course together. It's called Commercial Empire, like you said, but it wasn't like, I don't get rich off of, off of the course. What I want to do is I started to ask myself a question of how do I do more deals without building my staff up? Because when you start building a team, you realize that the biggest expense or the, the biggest reason that businesses go out of business is for too, having too much overhead. And it had the reason, number one reason for having too much overhead is for having too much staff. And so what I overhired my management company, we had 25 employees and we needed 15. And so I felt that squeeze about a, two years ago. And I was like, I don't want that to happen in my investment company. So how do I do more deals taking on more overhead and being an adult babysitter of HR and all this other stuff that yeah, none of yeah. us want to do? And so anyways, long story short, I thought if I can educate people on how to do deals the right way, how to find deals, how to manage deals, how to manage contractors, how to raise money, I can come in, I can help them get the financing, I can help them raise the money. I just need boots on the ground in different markets around the country of people who are educated that I trust, who I know are, are educated the right way, and I can join venture with them. And there's enough juice in the squeeze in an apartment building. We're not talking about a twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollar profit. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars of profit, if not millions of dollars of profit. And so there's enough juice in the squeeze where everybody can get paid. Twenty five percent of a watermelon is a lot more than a hundred percent of a grape. There's a lot more squeeze in twenty five percent of a watermelon. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And so that was my idea with launching Commercial Empire. Of I just want to be able to educate people on how to do this, so that way I could partner up with them and we could figure out a way to carve up the equity where I can be involved in deals in a more passive basis, but I can raise the money for it. I can bring my balance sheet, sponsor any sort of loans for it. And now we're able to work together and collaboratively build wealth together. And so it's helped me build my business. It's helped a lot of other people get involved in commercial real estate. And I have awesome stories. I've only had three events so far. And I have one guy who bought over 200 units already. There's another guy who bought 37 units. There's a female who has two buildings under contract, like a 20 unit and a, a 30 unit. There's another guy who came out, he bought a 48 unit. He has another 48 unit under contract and he just bought a 24 unit. And this is like in less than six months. That's awesome. We've had awesome stories. And so it's one of those things where like, it's pretty cool because it works for me, but is there anything that I'm doing that maybe it's my charisma or the way that I talk? But no, like it's standard principles that are time tested that if you can go out and find deals, I can help raise the money and we're able to kind of collectively work together and so that's what Commercial Empire is. So yeah, I appreciate you bringing it up. CommercialEmpire.com is my coaching program. You can come out. We do a three-day event. We also have a couple different like levels where there's like uh, an online type course with some phone calls and that, that kind of stuff. And we do have a mastermind. That's next level. You, you can't even get into that till you come out to an event of ours, but it's pretty good. I think it takes the complicated world of commercial real estate and boils it down to like a third grade level. I'm a very <laughs> simple guy. If it's anything more complicated than that, then I don't do it. And so I've been able to take my knowledge of the residential realm, simplify commercial real estate into more of like a residential. It's very easy, bite-sized chunks to understand. We've had awesome reviews and awesome, more important, awesome results from our students. So yeah, I appreciate that. If you guys want more information on that, go to commercialempire.com. But probably the best way to get hold of me is through Facebook. I'm always on social media. I'm trying to provide content and value as much as I, I can there. Just link up with me on Facebook and shoot me a message. It's actually me answering my messages instead of like a, some bot or something. <laughs> Yeah, right. But yeah, man. Hey, dude, I, I really appreciate all the value that you're putting out there with your podcast and, and what you're doing. Can't tell you how much I appreciate you having me on here too. Tim, hey, it's been a lot of pleasure on our end. For audience members that want to check you out, find more about you, they can find more about you or, the, or that coaching program at commercialempire.com. Look you up on Facebook. That's Tim Bratz, B-R-A-T-Z. We'll link your social media in the show notes. So hey, Tim, thanks so much for coming on the show. Look forward to having you back on in the near future. I appreciate it, brother. Thank you, Jacob. Hey, thank you. Take care. All right.
right, that wraps up this week's episode with our guest, Tim Bratz. If you want to learn more about any of the resources we mentioned in the show, you can find those in the show notes. And if you like what you heard, please go over and leave a rating and review on whichever platform you're listening on. As always, for more information, resources, and to connect with me, you can visit www.jacobayers.com. Till next week, engineer the lifestyle you want. You've been listening to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, providing you actionable content to build your real estate empire. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for personal advice. The opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have a potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom, LLC, exclusively.